Yo, it is another episode of the High Hopes Podcast. I'm your host, James Seltzer, and with me today, upgraded from the producer spot, co-hosting with me, John Marks, uh, enjoying some family time around the holidays here, and uh, we don't want to hear his tin can calls anyway, is uh, Jack Fritz slightly better on the computer mic joining us. What's up, brother? Uh, you know, it's, it's good to get uh, promoted so quickly. I rose through the system. I'm through the minor league system, and I'm already in the starting lineup or out of the bullpen. First guy out of the bullpen is now the most important thing in baseball. Also the most important thing uh, in this podcast. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. I like that at least you think of it that way, you know? Yeah, I'm glad not no one a, else does. Uh, not, a, not a 10-day call-up kind of guy, but we'll roll with it. Um, no, we should have some fun today. We're going to uh, – it's the last last High Hopes podcast of 2017 I think 2018 going to be a uh, a brighter year for this franchise, so we're going to have some fun moving forward. Um, quick recap, uh, I want to look, Jack, at kind of where the uh, hot stove stands heading into 2018 right now. Uh, but first, kind of a quick recap of the, the moves we've seen so far, the, the minor moves of uh, fortifying the bullpen, Tommy Hunter, Pat Neshek, not a lot to complain about there. Hunter signing especially looking pretty good market-wise in terms of numbers when you see the other deals out there for eight, nine million a year at six mil. Pretty solid, but clearly two bigger moves. One, uh, uh, more of an effect based on who's leaving as opposed to to the effect on the club, more so getting JP in the lineup and the other one. They're big free agent signing, uh, at least so far, the offseason. Let's start with the Freddie Galvis trade. He has trade away. John Marks and I had a chance to talk about both these moves. Haven't really gotten your thoughts, but Jack, knowing you, hearing you talk anytime ever about Freddie Galvis, uh, I know you're pretty excited about the first one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, seeing Freddie Galvis gone has been a a, uh, a goal of mine for the last year. Um, it's not only he's a bad offensive player, it's just that people who haven't watched baseball since the 80s think that he is some kind of star player, and now that that argument is gone i can move on with my life and be much more happy (laughs) on a a daily basis so for that thank you matt clemsack that that argument is now out of the way because you understand it i'm just i'm more glad that uh that clemsack gets it he's moving this team into a modern direction and i think that's something that's really important for the future of this baseball team uh freddie galvis is a is a fantastic defensive player no one's really arguing that it's just that if you don't get on base at more than a 340-ish, 330-ish clip for me, you're kind of worthless. And Freddie Galvis, to me, was a guy that was never going to ever show that. And since he's 28 years old, I didn't ever see him developing into that kind of player. And imagine giving up the 13th ranked prospect in your system for Freddie Galvis just to be <laughs> just to be a stopgap until Fernando Tatis Jr gets there like that's a hefty price for a guy who doesn't help you win ball games yeah i agree especially in a farm system that's a pretty good farm system you know a top 5 top 10 farm system for most people out there in San Diego so i totally agree with you i've made my thoughts on it clear and 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 as you alluded to Stepping into the future, I mean, Freddie was nowhere near 340 or 3, 330, uh, but also more so important because stepping into the future and allowing J.P. Crawford to take over the shortstop role, none of the ambiguity about playing him at third or any of that silly stuff. He's a shortstop. He should play shortstop. He's your shortstop of the future. Let's roll. So totally agree there. 
Also, as I mentioned, the the other kind of big move, which John and I talked about in the last podcast, and I uh, want to get your thoughts on, I think both John and I, for the most part, pretty positive on it, the Carlos Santana signing. And I think once you see the numbers and how it's front loaded and kind of the options on the deal and the base salaries with the guarantee kind of taking a fair amount of it out and a lower base salary, really hard to to be upset with the signing. I think the only real argument of bringing Carlos Santana in is that it forces Hoskins into the outfield. But Jack, what's your overall take on the Los Santana signing? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think you can really you can judge it now, obviously, but I think there's going to be another uh, shoe to drop. So until that drops, it's hard to fully get, like, until we see the outlook of this team, it's hard to fully understand the Carlos Santana signing. From a from a hitting standpoint, I completely get it. He's the Matt Klintak prototype. He's he's going to walk a lot. He's seen the most pitches in baseball since 2011. Uh, he can he's, he's important right in the middle of that lineup that can uh, protect Reese Hoskins a little bit. Um, and just kind of take the pressure off some of these young guys. I think from an, an offensive standpoint, he's absolutely perfect. It's just that, you know, defense is still important in baseball. And, you know, defensive runs saved is something that teams are really, really looking towards now. And now the Phillies have a major hole in left field with Reese Hoskins. I think Hoskins is serviceable out there. But it's just like if we're looking from a run prevention strategy side of the game, it, it doesn't exactly help you that much. It's more like he's not going to kill you out there, but he's definitely not going to be a plus-plus out there. So it's just like it's kind of creating a hole that you didn't really need. Um, they already have three competent outfielders, but it's it, it, I think Klintak really only cares about uh, a, a pop in that lineup, but I think Santana Hoskins makes your lineup better, makes it deeper. So from that standpoint, I fully understand it. And, like, you know, I was going over the run prevention thing, but the Cubs started Kyle Schwarber in left field, and the Cubs have a whole defensive run-save system that they, they outlined with their young players. So it's not like they're not thinking about this as well. So I, I, I get it from that standpoint. It makes their their, their uh, lineup depth just that much deeper, um, which is fun. They're gonna There's not a tough out in this Phillies lineup heading into next year, which we couldn't say the last couple of years, especially with our shortstop, number 13, uh, Freddie Galvis. So- <laughs> get, get a parting shot in there. No, I'm with you. And I look, I think... Look, I think at least now Carlos Santana, better defensive first baseman than Reese Hoskins, so I think you are getting a a minor upgrade there at first base, at least defensively. I'm with you. You know, I guess if you're going to choose a position to kind of, you know, uh, downgrade in terms of of if you're taking an approach like that, I think left field, the number one position you – you would stick your worst guy at, so to speak. So I, I do think there's some logic there, at least. But I agree with you from that perspective. But uh, the lineup advantages of it, and, and like you said, you know, the on-base percentage, Santana, basically a, a lock to go 360 on-base percentage. He's done it pretty much every year he's ever been in, in the league. And also a, a guy who stayed healthy his entire career, played 140 games at least every year of his career. He's a, a consistent guy that you can count on who's going to give you a good effort every day. And I think that's important for a team like this and a guy who's done it before. He's played in the World Series. Um, you know, I, I don't think that stuff is is you have to have it, but I don't think it hurts either. Um, and, and look, I think that I think that they probably believe Hoskins can be a better left fielder than we've seen so far. And and look, at least he's young and he is athletic, so there is the possibility of it. It's not, again, it is probably the easiest position out there to play, but um, I'm with you. I don't think it's a, a no-brainer. But I do agree with your general concept of the fact that you can't really judge it because 
Uh, I do think there is a shoe to drop. You're looking at the outfield now. Hoskins, a clear lock to play. And if he's here, I would say Odible Herrera, the other clear lock to play. Altair, Nick Williams, how do you sort that out? Or do you trade, uh, you know, I think, again, Hoskins, the only one who's definitely not getting moved. We're going to get into trade hypotheticals in a second. I think part of that determine is going to be also determined by whether there is anything left on the free agent market that the Phillies are going to go after in terms of a pitching sense. I think we've seen their big move offensively. Maybe they get a, a fill-in type of guy here or there. But um, I, look, the free agent starter market is not robust right now. You know, you Darvish, Jake Arrieta at the top, I think both of us agree we don't want nor expect the Phillies to go after either of those guys. Um, Alex Cobb, Lansland, Andrew Kashner, really the only other three names on the, the list there that are intriguing for different reasons. Uh, you, do you see the Phillies making a play for that type of guy? I don't see them. Um, like, I, I like I like the idea of Lance Lynn a lot. Um, I think he'd be an innings eater, and I kind of just had this weird vision that I could see him in a postseason game because I feel like he'd pitch well in cold weather because he's a little heavier, and I feel like his beard would be pretty thick by that point of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I always envisioned it's it. Crucial. Like, yeah. It's crucial. It's crucial. I mean, I've, I've had that vision in my head a couple of times, but um, I would I would be really weary of get it, giving like sixty to eighty million dollars for three years for a Lance Lynn type that you also have to give up a second and a fifth round pick for. Plus, they already gave up a second a second round pick for Carlos Santana um, to sign him because he he uh, accepted the or rejected the qualifying offer from the Indians. So. I would just be surprised if a team that's rebuilding gives up more draft picks to sign a guy that, you know, by the time that they try to compete is maybe your number three or four or is hurt and you're paying him $80 million. It just seems like a big investment for a guy that they're not quite ready to uh, to bring in just yet, especially since they're not that unbelievable of a starter. Um, I, I wouldn't go in that direction yet either. Um, but if that, if that market drops a lot, like, Everyone's pretty. Everyone that covers baseball nationally is pretty concerned about these these free agents dropping in price because all these teams are just waiting for the bargains like they did last year with Evan Encarnacion and not signing guys early. So like if Arietta comes down to like three years, eighty million, sure, I'll sign Arietta to that deal. Why not? Um, but like if I if, if Boris who's asking for like hundred eighty to two hundred million, it's just not going to happen. Or like I don't know if it gets low enough at any price, sure. I'll take a risk, but if, if at their right. current asking price, I just don't think they're going to give up draft picks and uh, tens of millions to sign these guys. I agree with you. Cobb, the only name there that I think is a really interesting name in terms of, of legitimate upside, obviously the injury curtailed kind of that growth, but I still believe in Cobb, but uh, you know, a lot of other teams have been in on him. The Cubs rumored to be in on him as they already stole our, our boy Tyler Chatwood from us, but uh, I'm with you. I think it's far more likely, and there are a lot of other names out there. You could see the Phillies maybe adding an innings eater guy just to round out the rotation, a uh, uh, Wade Miley, a uh, John Lackey, some guy like that. I don't expect it. There are a bunch of those guys, Jason, Jason Vargas, Chris Tillman, Ricky Nolasco, a lot of those names out there. I, I do think, though, uh, Jack, to kind of segue into what we were mentioning before, I think it's far more likely there is another shoe to drop with some sort of trade, and, and it, I don't think it's a lock, but there are a lot of controllable starters on the market right now who theoretically could be traded, and, and there have been rumors about, uh, you know, we have a, 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 there are some guys out there who are legitimate, you know, top-tier type pitchers, maybe not aces, but the step below, and some even aces, but, um, you know, you, you've got a list of four. Who are the four top guys kind of out there as potential trade targets who you've kind of zeroed in on here? 
Well, all of these guys have been linked to the Phillies from beat writers, national guys, uh, and just logically make a lot of sense, and they are available. And that's that's Chris Archer, uh, Michael Fulmer, Marcus Stroman, and Garrett Cole. Now, it looked like Garrett Cole was a lock to go to the Yankees about a week ago, but this seems like those deals have kind of calmed down. Um, and then of the uh, Cole's definitely available. It feels like the Pirates are, are ready to move on from him. Uh, Archer seems pretty available. I mean, they just moved Evan Longoria. They probably won't compete next year, but with that, with the with his contract, it feels like um, he they should get a hefty hefty haul for for Chris Archer. Fulmer seems sort of available, and he doesn't seem like he's they're trying to move him as fast as possible because they too are a rebuilding team. They had the worst record in baseball last year, and then Stroman, like if you're the Jays, you're not going to win the championship next year. Donaldson's going to walk. Do you really want to get stuck with Marcus Stroman, or do you try to move him, get a big haul back, and hopefully jumpstart this rebuild? I don't know. It's it's something that's tough because the Blue Jays have are the, are the main thing in the market up there, and and moving a marketable pitcher like Marcus Stroman, who's super fun, uh, will definitely reduce the turnout at the ballpark next year. But you know, at some point, you gotta stop thinking about turnout and think about the, for the best future of your team. And I wonder if they're kind of gonna get to that point during this offseason. Yeah, it's a great point. Mark Shapiro taking over there a couple of years ago, obviously built that Indians kind of, you know, front off, part of that front office lore of, of back in the day and, and built that team and put Antonetti in charge and then left for the, the Blue Jays job. And there was a lot of pressure there. I do think, though, their kind of circumstance dictates that they have to look towards the future at least a little bit. I agree with you. Stroman on the block. Just to clarify the contract status on those four guys, Garrett Cole signed through 2019, Stroman through 2020, Archer, an unbelievable contract. I don't know why he signed this contract, but signed through 2021 for a very affordable price. And then Fulmer, easily the best, you know, contract situation of the bunch still on his rookie deal, or excuse me, the, you know, uh, team control prior to uh, even being able to be a free agent through till 2022. So taking all that into account, Jack, I'm wondering how you would kind of rank these guys as targets in terms of what you would give the most up for. I think, you know, all four of these guys have value in terms of, you know, what you would give up. Uh, For me, if if, uh, how I would rank them, taking into account the type of pitchers they are, the contract status, everything. I, I have to have Archer first. I just, I, he's, I have seen him be the most dominant of this group. Uh, he's gotten real unlucky in terms of ERA and, and those type of conventional stats. If you look a little deeper and the swing and miss stuff is just, you know, lights out, obviously a strikeout leader, one of the strikeout leaders in the American league. Um, I, I through 2021, that type of deal, Archer's my number one. Fulmore for me is a close, close number two based on the contract. But I also think, as you said, I think, Fulmer, probably the toughest to pry away in terms of price based on that rookie contract and the fact that he could still be a part of whatever Detroit tries to do moving forward. Strowman would easily be third for me. I, I think those top three are pretty pretty solid for me as, as Cole, the 2019 you know, kind of free agency, puts a little bit of a, a, a less value for me on him. And, and even still, I think Strowman, probably a better pitcher than Cole. They're similar in my mind, at least in terms of production, not similar, obviously, in the way they look or pitch. But um, for me, I think Archer and Fulmer were the clear top two targets for me of that group. Well, this is a boring podcast because I completely agree. No, I'm just That's kidding. what happens when we get together, Jack. I know. I hate it's it. Just, it's just how we roll. No, uh, but we'll, we'll go a little deeper. Archer, 
Uh, I believe that I was uh, I was blind, but now I see with Chris. Yeah, Hartman. I w- I was on. I, you asked me this question a while ago, actually, and and I was I put Archer first, and you were like, eh, I don't know, I don't really like Archer, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, so like when I. I don't know. I, I guess I was blind to the FIP revolution, but over the last week, uh, I, I really dug into Archer's stats. And just real quick to clarify for people, FIP, FIP, whatever you want to call it, it's fielding independent pitching. The, the, what the stat attempts to do is it attempts to take out all the, the luck and randomness, you know, the defensive uh, uh, plays and whatnot, and try and zero in on a pitcher's actual you know production based on those one-on-one matchups yeah it just takes to make it simple it's it's more complicated than that but yeah it just it just tries to uh get it's a stat that tries to show what a pitcher can control essentially uh on the mound because a lot of stuff can go wrong and era is more there's more luck in the era than people really recognize so when i saw his era it was in the it was in the fours like low fours for about the last like three seasons but then his FIP was consistently in the 3.2s, so it shows that he's pitching better than um, his, his ERA would show, or the traditional stats would show. The Ks per nine are intoxicating. Uh, the over 200 innings is intoxicating. The guy doesn't get hurt. He's very dur- durable. Uh, he's been a frontline rotation starter in the AL East for the last four years. Um, I still can't believe he's 29. I'm pretty sure he's 26 years old, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but he's. I, w- I would also add in too playing for the Rays, and and we've heard him talk. If you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to hear him do games, he he's really bright, terrific, but very heavily analytically inclined as a pitcher too. Coming from that, obviously Rays organization, and and the way he thinks about baseball, obviously you think about that a clear natural fit for for this organization right now. Right, I think there's something more even in in him uh, untapped mechanic wise, but. I really like Archer, um, and, and he would be my, my number one. Just the durability. He's only 29. You're having him for three more years in a really cheap contract. So all aboard the Archer trade, and I would give him the most for him. And I think he's the most available of these guys outside of Cole. Um, uh, Michael Fulmer. I agree. Michael Fulmer. I, I love Michael Fulmer. Just like I think his sinker plays well here. Uh, we, we are a, a hitter's ballpark, even though we had one of the best rotations of all time in 2010, 2011. Uh, his, his sinker is legit. It's 96 to a hundred, <laughs> which is fun. Um, but he obviously, he obviously has, uh, elbow issues with that. And to get Fulmer, I would consider taking back the Jordan Zimmerman contract and hopefully reducing a little bit of financial stress from the Tigers and maybe reducing the, the prospect, uh, uh, outtake from us. So maybe you take back Fulmer and and Zimmerman contract and give back Cesar and prospects, that could be a start to a deal. Uh, I know I know Jason Stark mentioned that the other day or a week ago, just about Cesar and Fulmer starting a deal and then going from there and seeing how it ends up. So that was intri- interesting to me. I would do that in a heartbeat, try to find some way to get Michael Fulmer here to Philadelphia and then him, Nola, uh, the top of your rotation with Sixto coming up after them. <laughs> it's just... It's something that makes me very happy, James. And then I would put Marcus Stroman third. I don't think short pitchers age well. 
And don't even bring up six though, because I put that outside of my head. <laughs> no, excluding, let's say, excluding Pedro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even Pe- yeah, I guess Pedro. He, Pedro age he, pretty. He, I mean, for his size, but yeah, I mean, of course they don't. It's the point. The strain they're putting on their body, their arm. You know, like we've seen it time and time again. The Lincecums of the world. I mean, the Oswalds of the world. You know, they they last for a certain amount of time and then they break down. But um, uh, Strowman seems built to last for what it's worth of the smaller guys. Oh, I agree. It's just they create a lot of torque, and once that torque kind of goes, it's it's hard to get that back for a shorter guy. But I love Strum, and I love his competitiveness, and he's he's a big-game guy, and I, I love big-game pitchers. Garrett Cole, like, just I think people just assume he's an ace. Like, I, he hasn't been that great for the last three seasons. I'm with you, man. I, I'm I, Like, especially when you take into account the, the contract of 2019, he's going to want to get paid. He'll probably get paid more than he's worth. I wouldn't give up a ton for him. I certainly don't think I would give up what it would take to get him. No, me either. So I, I'm kind of good on Garrett Cole. He's He should be dominating with his stuff, but for some reason he just doesn't. I don't know why he doesn't, but uh, Garrett Cole does not strike me as a guy that I'm giving up a ton of prospects for and is going to win me big ball games in October. So uh, Archer, Fulmer, Stroman, Cole for me and you. Yep. Boom and boom. Uh, of course, uh, there are a few other names out there like Danny Duffy and uh, and whatnot. But I think those are the main guys. And I think you hope that the Phillies can get one of those first three guys really, as Jack said, could set them up for the future with Sixto and Nola and, and all that stuff. So really quickly, Jack, uh, before we make a prediction for 2018 and get out of here, as uh, I'm sure a lot of people have a lot going on the next few days of New Year's Eve and all that good stuff. But we wanted to squeeze one more Phillies pot in for this year. Uh, Jack, real quick, a, a quick catcher review preview. We don't really have to get into this too much. You know, by Cameron Rupp, hopefully, likely, uh, Andrew Knapp, whatever, he's fine. Uh, Alfaro, it comes down to Alfaro, a, you know, kind of do you believe in him or not offensively? Interesting season when he was up, 114 plate appearances, 318 average, a little deceiving, but 360 OBP, a 514 slugging percentage, uh, 870 OPS, looks really good. Obviously, a very small sample size. If you look a little deeper, the OBP kind of decreased as the season went along. The slugging percentage got a little better, as you would expect. And uh, the the real, you know, kind of red uh, red uh, warning sign, whatever you want to call it, is uh, the 33 strikeouts to only three walks. Uh, bigger question, I think ultimately offensively, we kind of know what he likely will be. If he can learn to kind of have a better approach and control the strike zone a bit, he could be a solid catcher to have someone who walks and hits some home runs. But... The question is, Jack, as a former pitcher, someone who knows kind of the, the way games are called, the way catchers need to, to kind of handle a staff and all that, from what you've seen from Alfaro, we know he has a cannon of an arm. Can he do the other stuff? Yeah, so like going from Cameron Rupp, who uh, would stab at the baseball, and I don't know whoever taught him how to catch, but they weren't very good. Um, it's just like... You, you, you could see the, a noticeable difference once Alfaro got in there compared to when Cam Rupp was in there. He has nice, soft hands. And you know you know how you'd watch the Nationals for the last couple of years and all their catchers would just have this beautiful way of framing a pitch? Like they'd, yeah. they'd bring it into the strike zone. And the Indians are great, too. Like Roberto Perez is a master. Yeah, yeah. So that's how, that's how baseball is going. And I think, I think the Phillies have been working on him on his framing 
because uh, it saves you it saves you pitches it gets you strikes oh and, it's huge it's, yeah, it, it's massive it's so underrated and for some reason they kept throwing camera up out there even though he has no idea how to do any of that stuff so i'm very very glad the cam rup era is over <laughs> along with along with Freddie. oh my god i would get so every single night i would throw something at my tv watching cam rup trying to catch a baseball game uh, but just i would i would every time the lineup would come out and cam rup was still playing and all far was on the bench i'm like what what is happening? Like, why, why, why? Well, I can't, can't figure out why Pete McCann is not here anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but Alfaro, like, defensively, sure, he has some problems with, with pass balls. And, you know, learning how to call a game is something that doesn't happen overnight. You have to learn hitter, hitters' tendencies. But everything I, I've read on Alfaro, it seems like he's a guy that is trying to learn as much as possible. Um, he seems like a guy that's in the in the film room as much as possible, learning uh, whatever he can. He seems like a gym rat. He doesn't seem like a guy that's just going to sit there and and not learn how to call a game. But I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the defensive side of the uh, of the plate. I didn't see what every single beat writer was like. Oh, he's so bad defensively. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. Really... I was surprised by that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really see that. I mean, sure, there was little things that can be cleaned up, but he'll clean that up. I, he's only what 23, 24, so. Is still youngish kind of catcher. Offensively, I think the numbers are a bit deceiving. It didn't agree. It didn't feel like he batted three eighteen with a three sixty no. MVP. Um, it just didn't. Yeah, and if you're if you're striking out thirty three times and walking three times, eventually that's going to even out, and it's not going to be as good as that. So uh, I'm bullish on Alfaro in the future, but he's not. I don't. I don't know. Like I could see him being Rod Barajas, which isn't like the greatest thing ever. Well, that's not exciting, Jack. It's not. I just I don't see him really developing into uh, a, a, an all star caliber catcher. I just there's something that I don't really see with with Alfaro, to be honest with you. No, and I understand that. And look, I don't know if his uh, his ceiling is as high as some people hoped or thought it might be when he first came over, but. I do think that that he's good enough, and I think that if he can kind of work on the defensive stuff and have somewhat of an approach at the plate, he's got power. He'll be fine, but I agree. I don't think we're looking at a uh, a, all, a, a many-time all-star catch or anything like that, but I think he could be serviceable. We'll, we'll kind of see where it goes from there. I think one way or the other, he's clearly your starting catcher on opening day. All right, Jack, uh, let's let's get out of here with a little prediction. As, as it is about to be 2018, we are just days away Give me one Phillies prediction for 2018. They will finish second in the NL East. That is strong. I almost went with they will win 80 games or more, and I still kind of believe that right now, but I'm going to go the other way. I was going to kind of just – we talked about it a bunch, so I'm going to go with it and and say that I believe something along these lines is going to happen. My prediction, Aaron Nola will be the second best pitcher on the Phillies staff by the time the 2018 season starts. Oh, I like it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I love it. I love it. And it just it just feels that way, you know. I it mean, does. I it mean, does. they've been talking for two years ever since Clintac got here about finding controllable starters, and every single time that gets brought up, it's always Chris Archer's name, and Chris Archer is available, and the teams that are in on him are besides the Phillies are all competing teams. So why would the Phillies be in there? Only because they're trying to look at they're trying to have the longest view in the room and get a guy that can be put at the top of the rotation. It just feels like Archer's a guy they've had on their mind for 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 two or three years now, and I think Clentac's going to go out and get it done. I I'm with you, man. I really think so too, and I think that when they survey the 2019 free agent market and look at the fact that yeah, there's a lot of exciting bats on that market. There are not nearly as many as exciting pitchers on that market. And what you look at that's out there now, 
I really am with you. I, I think that they are looking to trade for a controllable guy who they think can be a potential ace or a potential one-two with Nola. And I think Archer, at least until Sixto comes, who's obviously the ultimate ace, no questions asked, right? Um, but I, I, th- I think that that is the direction they go. And uh, I, I can't wait for it. I'm really excited. I hope it happens. So. And in reality, you if you want to really be uh, enticing to 2018 free agents, you have to be competitive next year. I know that sounds like so. No, you're Jack, you're right. You need to be at least somewhat competitive. You need to show signs of growth. These players are going to, I mean, obviously look ultimately for, for a fair amount of these guys, the most money wins the day, but there's also, you know, if a lot of times where you're going to be kind of just very similar in terms of numbers and, and it's going to matter, Jack, I agree with you. Yeah. Like, I mean, sure. You can throw 500 million at Bryce Harper and they probably will. But uh, I don't think he's going to come here if it's only Nola and then uh, Jared Eikhoff, Ben Lively, and those guys. So Eikhoff, or uh, Nola and Archer at the top of your rotation with that lineup looks like something a guy can come here and kind of just take to the next level if you're, if you're a Bryce Harper of the world. Totally agree, and it's a team that theoretically could you know, compete for a wild card spot pretty, pretty quickly. So um, exciting stuff. I, I, I am with, uh, I'm sure Jack will agree. And uh, the the absent John Marks would agree that uh, the 2018 going to be an even better year for the Phillies and their fans uh, than 2017 was. So with that, uh, for Jack Fritz, for John Marks, I am James Seltzer. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We're excited. Uh, we are coming in full force in 2018, bringing, uh, bringing the high hopes with us. So uh, again, for Jack, for John, for James, thank you for listening to this edition of the High Hopes Podcast.